Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 4. Uh, if you've got a phone or a tablet or someplace that you read your Bible, go ahead and open that up. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, bring it, okay? Bring your Bible with you. Uh, if you don't own one, there should be one of these on the floor around you. I think it's page 848. James chapter 4 is in here, 848. And if you don't own a Bible at all, please take this one home with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to be able to read God's Word along with us. We're uh, in James chapter 4 today. Um, I'm 17 years old. I'm sitting in a high school auditorium surrounded by my teammates. Now, before we go too far, I need you to know that I didn't play sports when I was in high school. I went to a very large high school in Indianapolis, uh, Ben Davis High School. Yeah, we've got a couple of Ben Davis grads over here. Actually, somebody I graduated with over here. Um, and so she will know that I was not really an athlete in high school. And in fact, at Ben Davis, uh, several of the people that I went to school with went on to play Division I sports. And a couple of people that were in my class and the class behind me actually played pro sports. And so like by the time you got to high school, if you were at Ben Davis, if you weren't gonna go play in college, you pretty much weren't gonna make the team. And so uh, I didn't play sports in high school, but instead I did compete. I did letter for three years in speech. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I didn't realize Steve was such a nerd in high school. I grew out of it, so you can't tell that now, but um, this one particular speech tournament, I remember, the way tournaments worked, if you weren't on the speech team in your high school, was you would give this same talk for four rounds to four different judges with different competitors. So there might be, depending on how big the tournament is, 20 to 50 people in your category, and they would divide you up into rounds, and for four rounds, you would go give the same talk in front of a different judge, and they would give you a position. And for the first three rounds, they would post how you did in that round, and then the fourth round, they didn't post it. You went to the awards ceremony, and you found out how you did overall. And so this particular tournament, through three rounds, I was in second place in the tournament. And the top 10 got prizes. The top uh, seven through, or three through, four through 10 got ribbons, and then the top three got a trophy. And so um, I was well in trophy spot going into the fourth round. So I go give my fourth round speech. And then at this moment, I'm sitting in the auditorium surrounded by my teammates and my category comes up and they go through 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th. I'm not even listening at this point, right? 6th, 5th, 5th, 4th. I'm starting to pay attention. Uh, no, we're in the trophies and they haven't called my name yet. Third place, not me. Second place, not me. And at that moment, my teammates start patting me on the shoulder going, I think you won you must have won. You must have won. And so they say in first place, and I stand up off my chair and I do the little shimmy down the aisle and I'm going out into the aisle and I take about two steps towards the front and they say from Evansville Wrights High School. It's not me. <laughs> Apparently I bombed so bad in the fourth round that I fell out of the top 10 from second place. But in this moment, I feel like every eye in the auditorium is watching me as I have got up from my seat and shimmied into the aisle so that I could go get my prize, which is non-existent. And now I have to do the shimmy of shame as I go back to my seat with everyone watching me. You can laugh at me all you want, that's fine. But don't we all have a moment in our lives where we thought we were just a little bit more important than we really were? Don't we all have a moment where there was something about us that we just felt like, you know what, this is it. This is my moment. This is me. I'm ready to go. And um, somehow the Lord just puts us in our place, doesn't he? It's a condition the Bible calls pride. And it's something, as you can see, I've struggled with for much of my life. And in James chapter four, what we're gonna see is that pride is not a new condition. 
It's not a new sin. It's something that's been around since the beginning of time. So as we continue our series called Against the Grain, we've been working our way through the book of James. And we've said that James is a letter to Christians who are living in hostile, hostile situations, hostile conditions. And it really is a very um, prescriptive, prescriptive letter or book about how to live our lives as followers of Christ. And so we're looking at that. And what we've been doing uh, since the beginning of the series is to stand and read God's word together. I'm conscious that you've already had to stand and sit several times in the service. I don't think it'll hurt us one more time to do it. So if you're able, would you stand? And we're gonna read James 4, 1 through 10. We're actually gonna cover through verse 16, but I wanna read 1 through 10 together. So let's read this together. James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Today, James has some tough words for us about conflict and about pride in our lives. He's gonna tell us that the main, main cause of conflict in relationships is thinking more highly of ourselves than we should or that darn condition called pride. But fortunately, he's gonna give us some ways to get rid of that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's always instructive, it's always prescriptive, that it gives us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Lord, help that to be true of today as well. Help us to see in ourselves uh, what you see in us, both the good and the bad, and help us, give us a prescription, give us something to work on where we need to work on. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So we're gonna work through this passage today and actually through all the way through verse 16. Um, and as we do, I'll just tell you up front that the main point is contained right there in the middle of what we just read. It's verse six and it's this. If you wanna write this down, you can. It's in your notes. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now we can get a little turned around when we think that this passage is just about conflict. I mean, that would make sense because that's where James starts, right? What causes these quarrels among you? And so we can get the feeling that this is really a, uh, a passage about conflict, but let's just be clear, um, it's really about pride. We're gonna see it as we go through it. And that, that in many of our relationships, a lot of the conflict is caused by pride. And you see, here's the thing, here's the hard part about this. We don't purposely introduce pride into our relationships, most of us, right? We don't, we don't purposely inject pride into our relationships. None, none of us would say uh, something like, you know, I just really, really wanna be right this time. We don't usually say things like, right now, I just think my priorities are more important than your priorities, or I'm just more important than you. 
We would never say that. We might even never think something like that. We don't purposely inject pride into our relationships. Instead, pride sneaks in to our relationships. It kind of shimmies in. It kind of slithers into our relationships. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, James is going to show us three ways that pride sneaks into our relationship. And then fortunately, he's going to give us a cure for that as well. So let's dig in, all right? James 4.1 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, I just want to pause right there for a point of clarification because we can read that again. We can think this is about conflict. And if you read that verse just alone on the surface, you might be tempted to think that every conflict in my life, every quarrel, every fight is based on something that's happening down inside my heart. Like it's a desire that's within me. And I want to just put that notion to bed right now, because some of you are in here this morning and you're in the middle of conflict right now and you know exactly where that started. It started because your kid made a bad decision and you had to uh, implement consequences for that. And that started a quarrel between you. It, It started because your friend did something or said something that wasn't appropriate. It wasn't right. And that's caused a rift between you. Your your conflict started when your spouse was looking at pornography or your spouse had an affair and that started the conflict. And you're gonna sit here and say, now James is telling me that the conflict caused because of some desires in my heart, but but what's happening, remember, this is primarily a passage about pride. And James is saying, not that if you have conflict, the problem is always in your evil desires, but rather that one of the ways that pride sneaks in is through our desires, through evil, fleshly, worldly desires. And that every time we give in to those desires, it's a a show of pride and the end result is gonna be conflict. In fact, this is the first way that pride sneaks in. And so if you're following along in your notes on your app or if you've got the note card, you can write this down. Pride sneaks in when I love the things of this world more than I should. And we're gonna talk about what the things of this world are here in a minute. But the proud person is drawn, attracted to things of this world and selfishly demands he or she gets them while the humble person is drawn to God and the things of God, the things that are unseen, Scripture says, which are eternal. Look at what happens when we love worldly things. James is going to go on, verse 2. He says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. Now, this could be literal. James could be thinking about a specific case with a follower of Jesus, a Christian that he's writing to. But more likely, I think, he's thinking about the words of his brother Jesus, who at one point said that if anyone hates his brother or sister, he is a murderer. And some people love the things of this world so much that it eats them up and they hate the guy or they hate the lady that has those things. And Jesus would say, if you hate that person, then it's like killing them. And I hate that guy. Why does he have what he wants? I can't have as nice of things as he has. And so James goes on. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And again, I'm going to talk about what those things of this world are. But if you're thinking in your mind, you know what? I'm not a very greedy person. There aren't things that I desire more than God. Don't think about it as just possessions. For some of us, the thing of this world that we uh, desire the most is um, a fantastic marriage. And maybe our marriage isn't so good. And so we look at somebody else's marriage and think, I wish I had the marriage that so-and-so had. I wish I had the husband that, that she has. I wish I had the, the wife that he has. I wish I had the boy. My brother has a girlfriend and I don't have a girlfriend. Why am I always the one that has to be single? Or my, my sister has a boyfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. And so we can kind of covet those things of this world that maybe aren't even things. They aren't possessions. So, But he says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so in this passage, James knows 
that the proud person is attracted to the things of this world because they're never satisfied. They're never grateful, and more and more they're drawn to the things of this world. And then he says, you don't have them because you don't ask, you don't pray, and proud people are less likely to pray because when we pray, it indicates a dependence on God. And proud people are more likely to want to be independent and not have to count on anyone, including God, to get what we want. And then when we do pray, James says, our motives are wrong. Like how often do we pray for God to just rubber stamp our agenda instead of really praying to pursue his? So what are some signs that you're too drawn to the things of this world? There are some things in this passage that James has laid out for us. Uh, First of all, it's this, um, do you argue a lot? Is there a lot of conflict in your life? arguing over things or experiences or priorities? Uh, Does it drive you crazy when there's something you want, but it's just out of reach? That may be a sign that you're drawn to the things of this world. Uh, Have you ever been tempted to steal a little, to cheat a little, to, to skim a little off the top, maybe even to threaten someone to get what you want? You're probably too drawn to the things of this world, if that's true. When you pray, how often do you pray, Lord, give me fill in the blank? You know, if that's the bulk of your prayers, then maybe you're too drawn to the things of this world. Or do you find you're often obsessed with that next thing that you think is going to bring you pleasure or satisfaction? If one or more of those things are true for you, listen up, because James has some really strong words for you. What does he call the people who loves the things of this world more than they should? Look at verse four. He says, you adulterous people. Don't, Don't rush past that. What does loving the things of this world means? Well, James says, it's like adultery that we're coveting things more than God, that we're pursuing things more than God. It's, it's a lust of the things for this world. It's strong language here. It's cheating on God, lusting after other desires. James says when we do that, we're being adulterous against God. And then he goes on. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James says it's black and white. Friend of the world, enemy of God. Friend of God, enemy of the world. You may remember Jesus once said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You'll either love one and hate the other. Um, There's no in between. And so James goes on in verse five. He says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Or some versions read that the spirit he has caused to dwell in us longs jealously. Either way, the point is clear. When we love the things of this world, God isn't pleased He is a jealous God. And when you hear that, you might think, well, I think jealousy is a sin. Is God, can God be sinful? But jealousy in the way that God is jealous is not a sin. He's he's jealous how a husband or wife longs for the undivided attention of their spouse. You understand that? Like God doesn't just want some of our heart. He wants all of our heart. He wants all of our attention, all of our devotion. And when we give some of those things to the things of this world, um, to, if we give some of our passion to things of this world, it's like cheating on God, and he's jealous for that. We're living as his enemy. And so when we talk about worldly passions, I think there are three things that we need to deal with, because I told you it wasn't just possessions. The first one is, is possessions. It's our stuff. We all like stuff. We have electronic stuff or sports stuff or cooking stuff or motorcycle stuff or fashion stuff. I mean, that's mine. That's my big thing is fashion, as you can tell. Um, but it's nice to have stuff. The problem is when stuff has you. Right, And you can always tell when stuff has you because as soon as you get that thing, whatever it is, you want the next thing that comes after that. You start thinking about the next thing. So possessions is one of them. But a second one, a second worldly thing that we chase is pleasure. 
And this comes in a lot of different ways and some are really appropriate and some are completely inappropriate. But sometimes our quest for pleasure um, makes us cross boundaries that we have no business crossing. Years ago, radio personality Paul Harvey told a story of an attractive flight attendant who was annoyed by a couple of men, a couple of different men on her flight who kept making advances at her. One of them was in the back of the plane and one was in the front of the plane. And so there was no place she could go to escape their flirtatiousness. Um, She had done her best to refuse their uh, advances. But as the plane got closer to landing, um, one of the men, the man in the back of the plane, got very bold and called the stewardess over, the flight attendant over, and handed her an apartment key with a note handwritten with the address and said, how about we get together tonight? The flight attendant smiled coyly and then walked up to the front of the plane and handed the other man the apartment key and the address (laughs) and said, how about nine o'clock? I love that. Both men got what they deserved, right? They got humiliation. But when we cross a line with pleasure, that's often what's coming for us too, humiliation. So there's possessions, there's pleasure, and the third passion, third worldly passion we have to watch out for is power, right? This is wanting to be in control. It's wanting to be on top. It's, I love to drive, right? I don't like to be the passenger. I love to drive. This, is, uh, this one has a tendency to be a problem for me. And please understand, there's nothing wrong with having ambition or, um, or, or wanting to, to accomplish more if your motives are pure and if your ego's in check, But haven't we all seen it when somebody's put in charge and the rush of being in power just actually makes them into a different person? Or or even worse, they're the same person they were, but just with a lot more power now. And uh, their character is finally revealed, right? Uh, Possessions, pleasure, and power, three of our worldly um, things that we often chase. And fortunately, for those of us who struggle loving the things of this world, James doesn't just leave us hanging. He's going to give us some good news on overcoming this. Look at this at at James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. Mm. Just rest in that for a minute. He gives us more grace. For those of us who are stuck chasing the things of this world, there's more grace. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the same grace that saved you. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. If pride has been a lifelong battle for you, you are not fighting alone. He gives us more grace. If you're in love with this world, he gives us grace. But if you're in love with this world, it's time to break up. It's time to say, world, it's not you, it's me. Like we're moving on, we're gonna do this thing, right? So James gives us, he goes on to give us some practical advice on how to do this. He says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then he's gonna give us the recipe for how we break up with the world. And if you have your own Bible with you, or if it's on your phone or whatever, you might wanna highlight this section or underline it because this is a great recipe for any time that we feel pride starting to well up in us when we fall in love with the world. This is a great recipe for dumping the world. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. He goes on. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's how you break up with the world. You, You sever ties by submitting to God. You resist the devil, and then you draw close to God. And when you do, James says, you'll no longer joke about the sin in your life because it'll break your heart. You won't wear a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. 
if you have that t-shirt, I'm sorry if I just offended you or broke your heart. But, but you won't laugh at your sin because it'll break your heart. You'll mourn. Your, your joy will turn to gloom, he says. So the first way that pride sneaks in is when we are in love with things of this world. Second way pride sneaks in is that when I enjoy judging others, I enjoy judging others. If that's you, you're not alone. Many of us enjoy sitting in judgment of other people. Uh, most of our society is built around judging others. Our TV shows are built around choosing who is the best and worst singer or dancer or magician or talent person, whatever that is. Social media is a hot mess of judging. It's, it's all there. Whatever you want to see, you can thumbs up or thumbs down anything you want. And not only that, it's one thing to be able to like somebody's post, but you can scroll through somebody's post and completely anonymously make a comment that can really tear somebody apart without them ever knowing who you are or engaging in a conversation. They don't even have to use your name. Like you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to scroll down somebody else's feed and see everything that they've posted and liked and commented on. And you can put yourself on the judgment seat when you do that, right? You see, truth be known, we all long to blow the whistle, to be judge and jury. But James warns us in verse 11 and 12, he says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Does this sound even a little bit like you? Are you quick to point out somebody else's faults, but slow to recognize the log in your own eye? You know, have your friends and loved ones been hurt by your words in the past, by your criticism, by your judgment, by your critical spirit? Have you ever said, even jokingly, I have the gift of criticism or sarcasm? You know, there's only one lawgiver and judge. Do you struggle with looking down at others as if they're inferior? Are you quick to rush, rush to judgment? And that's your pride. When we do that, when we judge other people, what we're doing is we're taking the one lawgiver and judge, God, and we're taking him off the judgment seat and we're putting ourselves on it in his place. The proud person loves to judge others and point out all their faults, but the humble person is brokenhearted over his own shortcomings and sins. I just wanna be very clear what James is talking about here. He says, he says you're not to judge people. Now, there's a difference between judging and discerning right? Discerning is knowing what's right and wrong. We're all called to do that. We're all supposed to be able to, to discern what's right from wrong. Um, I love what one pastor says. He said, but judging has nothing to do with uh, discerning right from wrong. It has everything to do with how you treat people. And in fact, he's, uh, one pastor says, judging is how you treat someone after you know what's wrong with them. So uh, we are not to judge people, although there are a few instances in scripture where it is okay to judge. So I'll just bring these up as the exception, not the rule. All right, there are three of them that I found. One is civil authorities. Civil authorities are called to judge others. If, if you ever sit on a jury, it's okay to judge. If you are a judge, it's okay to judge. That's what you do, right? If, to execute judgment for the safety of everyone as an agent of God. Romans 13 talks about this. Um, if you're a police officer, we're counting on you to judge right from wrong, right? To discern and judge. Now, the second place is church leaders. Church leaders are called to judge those in the church. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, we see this instance of a person who's caught in sin in this church in Corinth, this immoral uh, sin of a church member, and they're violating scripture and living in immorality, and church leaders are called to discern, 
right? To, to determine right and wrong, to get the facts, and then to judge and approach that individual and confront that person for the purpose of reconciliation so that they'll change their ways. And if they're not willing after repeated attempts, then they are to be removed from the body of Christ. They're supposed to be excommunicated from that body. Um, that's a scriptural place where it's okay to judge. And the third time we're told to judge is if a fellow believer is struggling spiritually. So Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, this is a, by the way, it's a great model for uh, spiritual conflict resolution. Um, in Matthew 18, 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go talk to your bestie about it. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And then it goes on to tell what happens next and what happens next and what happens next. And so Matthew 18, great place to go for conflict resolution. So if a fellow believer is struggling spiritually, Jesus says that person's going south. If they're doing some things that are hurting themselves, hurting their family, hurting their walk with God or hurting other people, then it lovingly confront them and say, you know, the scripture says this, but it seems in your life I see that. I hope we're close enough that I can speak truth into that area of your life. I hope I can challenge you. And then you lovingly do that. But even with a spouse or a friend, have you ever noticed how much easier it is to take that to somebody else rather than go directly to that person and help them get that speck out of their eye? There's almost a sadistic joy, isn't there, in pointing out the flaws of someone else. But the goal of a stronger Christian is not to obliterate and devastate the weaker Christian. It's to build them up and to disciple them and to bring them along. And so if you're really serious about wanting to help that person, you would personally go to them in love and share your concerns and help them get that speck out of their eye. And then you may even humbly ask, is there anything you see in my life that I need to work on? Is there something in my eye that I need to get out? In all of these cases, Scripture's talking about judging behavior. Okay, we're never called to judge motives. Uh, the Bible is clear that we can't tell the motives of someone else. Only God knows the hearts of man. So the kind of judgment that James is warning about is fault-finding and a judgment that condemns another person in the eyes of God. And he's also warning us that our motives may even be wrong for judgment. So often we're trying to bring down somebody else because if we pile enough dirt on top of them, it gives us a big hill to stand on and we can look so much better if we could be lifted up while they're brought down. Now, if sometime you find yourself on the receiving end of loving judgment from a Christian brother or sister, I just want to encourage you to remember the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. And so remember that if somebody cares enough to confront you um, and they do it in a loving way, you might want to open your eyes and see what's happening in your life. Right? So that's the second way pride sneaks in is when we love judging others. And the third way that pride sneaks in is when we brag about our plans for the future. I brag about my plans for a future. We've got an agenda and a plan to pull it off, and we're happy to announce it to everyone. Hey, I'm going to university where I'm going to get my degree in finance. Afterwards, I'll go get my master's, during which time I'll get married. And by the time I'm in my second year at a prestigious investment firm, we'll have a child, a boy, who will grow to be six foot three and will play basketball in college and get a scholarship. And then when he retires, he can pay off my mortgage. Now, there's nothing wrong with having goals. That's a great one. There's nothing wrong with plotting out a plan or a strategy. That's fine. In fact, it's wise. Wise people think about their future and plan for their future. But just don't leave God out of the equation and leave room for the idea that his plan might be a little different than your plan. Like, like God's will may be that you get your degree and get your master's, but maybe 
You don't get married then because you haven't met a godly person uh, that, that you can relate to. Or, or maybe you do get married, but then you spend the next 10 years trying to have a baby and failing. And then you look back and you think, you shake your fist and you say, God, why, God, why is this happening to me? But you realize you never tried to consult him in the first place. And James describes the proud person in verse 13 like this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to get that encouraging word right there? (laughs) Who are you to know what's gonna happen in the future? But we do this, don't we? We all say, you know, like, I'm going to go to Florida over Christmas. Next year, I'm going to sell the business. Uh, I'm going to marry that girl. Uh, Maybe I think if I play my cards right, we'll do really well selling the house. I mean, do you really think you have control over these things? Do you realize that God could take your life tomorrow? That that a doctor's appointment could change everything. A a phone call from your boss could change everything. A, A knock on the door and there's a police officer standing there could change everything. A word from your spouse, we need to talk, could change everything. We've got to understand, the the humble person understands that God is in control. James 4.15 reads, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, time and time again, through his word, through other Christians, and through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can sense, boy, this is what God wants me to do. I've got a burning in my heart. I've got to do this. I, I, I feel compelled to do this. I And it matches up with God's word, but even then, does your speech communicate that God, your will, I want your will to be done. That I want to walk in your will and not my will. I don't want my agenda, but I want your agenda. Why do we brag about the future? What is it that causes us to think that we have any control over what happens in the future? Are we that that proud? Are we that arrogant? Is it feelings of insecurity, maybe, that we're not measuring up or... Are we worried that things are going to happen, that we can't control them? I mean, can we just come to a point where we can honestly say, I, I can't control the future? There's an old Gaither song that goes like this. It says, I don't worry or the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk, walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Can we just walk in that same confidence where we get to the point where we go, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know who does. And I'm just going to continue walking with Jesus until that future comes and see what happens. James concludes this section in chapter four, verse 16, by saying this, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Every one of us has been guilty of pride. Every one of us has had a hard time admitting our weaknesses or saying, you know what? I made a mistake. I didn't do as well as I wanted to. I mean, as a pastor, I get to see longtime friendships dissolve because people can't admit their mistakes. They can't ask for forgiveness. It's pride. I've watched marriages fall apart because one or both spouse has to win every argument. They have to win every battle. They have to make every decision. It's, it's pride. I, I know parents who can't admit when they're wrong and they leave their children resentful and wounded and broken 
because of pride. I know people who silently struggle, struggle with an ongoing financial issue or health issue or relational issue or addiction issue, a moral issue, a sin issue, and they refuse help because of their pride. And so today, I just wanna ask you, church, to swallow yours. Swallow your pride and admit that you need a savior. You need a Lord who is perfect, who, who paid for every sin of selfishness, for every sin of pride that you or I will ever commit. He, he hung on a cross and, and became a sin sacrifice so that we could inherit eternal life. He took all of our sin on himself. And, there are, and then there are some of you who are already Christians who would say, you know what? I struggle with this too. I've given my life to Christ, but this is me. This, is, this pride is me. If there's anything that we talked about today that sounds even just a little bit like you, I just wanna ask the Lord to convict you of that. In fact, if you would say right now, I've got some pride in my heart. I wanna give you a prayer that you can pray. And even if you don't think there's any pride in your heart, maybe especially if you don't think there's any pride in your heart, you can, like David, you can pray this prayer. Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember his grace. He gives us more grace that he sent his one and only son to rescue you, that, that Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn it, but to save it. He, he wants to make you new. He wants to give you a new heart, a pure heart, a heart where pride has no place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I'll just stand up here and be the first to admit that this is an issue that I struggle with greatly, with pride. And um, Lord, I know time and time again, You've knocked it out of me. And time and time again, I keep crawling back. And so even today, I'm just asking you to, to, to search me, oh God, know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And when you find it, point it out to me. And Lord, for people in this room, I just wanna pray that same prayer, Lord. For those of us who know that we're prone to pride, would you search our hearts and show us where there's offensive ways in us. For those of us who think we don't have any pride in our heart, Lord, show us if there is point it out to us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name.